you've been here for a few weeks, you will know that we're working our way through the book of Daniel. So, Daniel's in the Old Testament. If you've got a Bible, we're in Daniel chapter 5. But don't worry if you haven't, we'll have the words on the screen for you. But it's always good to bring your Bible to church, isn't it? But it's okay, we've got the words here if you've forgotten. Just another quick notice as well, while you're finding Daniel chapter 5. Um, you, you might have noticed you've come in, they've done some refurbishment out in the foyer. Looks good. However, there are a number of glass cabinets there. And uh, if you've got children, we should all be watching our children. I'm speaking to myself now as well. We should all be watching our children after the meeting. Uh, just be aware that there's some glass cabinets out there. And we don't want them hurting themselves. Okay? So... Be aware. I'm going to be aware of my child as well who's here today. Um, so, uh, yeah. So just be aware at the, after the meeting, at the end of the meeting. We don't want them running around uh, and, and causing damage and injury to themselves. So, Daniel chapter 5. It's quite a long chapter. Um, I've cut a little bit out, but we're going we're gonna to read it all, if we can. King Belshazzar gave a great banquet for a thousand of his nobles and drank wine with them. While, should we say Belshazzar or Belshazzar? We'll say Belshazzar today. While Belshazzar was drinking his wine, he gave orders to bring in the gold and the silver goblets that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken from the temple in Jerusalem, so that the king and his nobles, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. So they brought in the gold goblets that had been taken from the temple of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his nobles and his wives and his concubines drank from them. As they drank the wine, they praised the gods of gold and silver, of bronze, iron, wood and stone. Suddenly, the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall near the lampstand in the royal palace. The king watched the hand as it wrote. His face turned pale and was so frightened that his legs became weak and his knees were knocking. The king summoned the enchanters, astrologers and diviners, uh, or diviners, and he said to these wise men of Babylon, whoever reads this writing and tells me what it means will be clothed in purple and have a gold chain placed around his neck. Then he will be made the third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then all all the king's wise men came in, but they couldn't read the writing or tell the king what it meant. So King Belshazzar became even more terrified. His face grew more pale. His nobles were baffled. And then the queen comes in, probably the queen mother actually, uh, and tells Belshazzar about Daniel. So Daniel was brought before the king, and the king said to him, Are you, Daniel, one of the exiles my father, the king, uh, brought from Judah? I've heard that the spirit of the gods is in you, and you have insight, intelligence, and outstanding wisdom. The wise men and enchanters were brought before me to read this writing and tell me what it means, but they couldn't explain it. Now I've heard that you are able to give interpretations and solve difficult problems. If you can read this writing and tell me what it means, you will be clothed in purple, have a gold chain placed around your neck, and be made third highest ruler in the kingdom. Then Daniel answered the king, You may keep your gifts for yourself and your rewards for someone else. Nevertheless, I'll read the writing for the king and tell him what it means. Your majesty, the most high God, gave your father Nebuchadnezzar sovereignty and greatness and glory and splendor. 
Because of the high position he gave him, all the nations and the peoples of every language dreaded and feared him. Those the kings wanted to put to death, he put to death. Those he wanted to spare, he spared. Those he wanted to promote, he promoted. And those he wanted to humble, he humbled. But when his heart became arrogant and hardened with pride, he was deposed from his royal throne and stripped of his glory. He was driven away from people and given the mind of an animal. He lived with the wild donkeys and ate grass like the ox, and his body was drenched with the dew of heaven until he acknowledged the Most High God is sovereign over all kingdoms on earth and sets over them anyone he wishes. And if you were here last week, that's what we looked at last week. But you, Belshazzar, his son, have not humbled yourself, though you knew all this. Instead, you've set yourself up against the Lord of heaven. You had the goblets from the temple brought to you, and you and your nobles, your wives, your concubines, drank from them. You praised the gods of silver, gold, bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which cannot see, hear, or understand. But you did not honour the God who holds in his hand your life and all your ways. Therefore, he sent the hand that wrote the inscription. This is the inscription that was written. Many, many tekel parsin. Here is what the words mean. Mene, God has numbered the days of your reign and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed on the scales and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and Persians. Then at Belshazzar's commandment, Daniel was clothed in purple and a gold chain was placed around his neck and he was proclaimed the third highest ruler in the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, king of the Babylonians, was slain, and Darius the Mede took over the kingdom at the age of 62. Okay, chapter 5 starts, and we suddenly have a new king. And then by the end of chapter 5, he's overthrown, and there's the introduction of a whole new empire. Belshazzar is likely not to have been the king, the actual king. Um, History tells us that the last king of Babylonian empire was a guy called Nabonidus. And uh, it's likely that Belshazzar was his son. um, And Belshazzar was ruling in his absence, in the absence of Nabonidus. We don't know why he was doing that. Maybe Nabonidus was ill. Maybe he was on holiday somewhere else. Maybe he knew that the Medes were on their way. And uh, that kind of makes sense now. When we read about um, Belshazzar offering him the third highest place in the kingdom, we go, okay, yeah, so that's why, maybe. Because uh, Belshazzar was second. But then we get this bit in it that that says that um, Nebuchadnezzar is called Belshazzar's father. And you think, okay, what does that mean? Well, if you have an NIV Bible and you were reading that, it actually tells you that father could also mean predecessor or ancestor. So it refers a lot to Nebuchadnezzar as Belshazzar's father. But it's likely to mean ancestor or predecessor. And then we've got Daniel. And Daniel seems to have been forgotten. He's, an, he's kind of an old man now, but he seems to be out of, kind of, a little bit out of the public Um, sphere a little bit as we read. And I'm going to focus today's message on three things in this chapter. The feast, the writing, and the command. So, first of all, the feast. That means a big meal or a big banquet or, you know, 
big celebration. Chapter, uh, the chapter starts with this great big feast, this great big banquet. You've got the lords, you've got the wives, you've got all these wives, you've got the concubines. Do you know, I always thought, that when I was growing up, that concubines were some kind of species of tree. It sounds like that, doesn't it? Just don't you think? When I was a child, and I used to read the Bible, and they used to... Here we have the concubine tree. Does it sound like a tree? It does, doesn't it? It does. I think it does. Anyway, just just to kind of help in kind of translation, and and, uh, perhaps you're unfamiliar with the word concubine, it's it's women that were not one of the king's wives, but they were part of the king's household. Um... Maybe for various different reasons. Maybe they were bought. Maybe they were um, uh, kind of slaves that had become um, concubines. Um, and maybe they would serve the king um, in lots of various different ways. Um, and we'll leave it there. And you can ask over dinner <laughs> if you want any more information. But, um, but they, would have had, they would have had lots of different roles. Not just the one you're thinking of. Um, they, they would have, they would have, and they would have been looked on with... With, with a bit of importance, actually, um, in, in the kingdom. Um, so anyway, it's a guy, he's got lots of wives and lots of concubines. That means he is an important person. And that's how we've been seen. This is Babylonian bling. It really is. Do I need to explain... Paul, do I need to explain bling to you? Do you know bling? You know bling, you're okay with bling. Okay, you're okay. This is... This is You know, when if people are rich and they want to show off how rich they are, they will wear lots of jewellery, won't they? Lots lots of expensive jewellery, big necklaces, uh, lots of rings, maybe on every finger, showing off lots and lots. It's bling. You know, they want to show off how rich they are because they're covered in jewellery everywhere, and uh, and that's called bling, if you don't know. Uh, So he's showing off. He's a very, very proud man with his wives and with his concubines. And verse 2 tells us this, that um, actually the, the proper translation is that he drinks wine in front of everyone. So you can see him at the front of the feast, drinking wine, everyone watching, perhaps at the start of the feast or at the end. He really is showing off. He is a very proud man. And then Belshazzar does something that, on the surface of it, doesn't really seem too bad. And maybe you think, well, it's not too bad. He gets the gold and the silver cups that have been taken from the temple in Jerusalem, and he uses them in his feast. He drinks wine from them, and he praises his gods, the gods of silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Maybe not that big a deal. You Remember... At the beginning of Daniel, when we started, Jerusalem has been conquered by the Babylonian army, and they've destroyed the temple, and they've brought many Jews to Babylon. But they've also brought anything valuable from the temple back to Babylon as well, as you might, you know, treat them as there. These are our things now. We've conquered you. We're having these things. Uh, the cups that would have been used as part of the Jews' worship in the temple... And it's not so much that they're using them in this feast that's offensive to God, although the fact that they're using them to praise their gods 
is certainly bad. But it shows a path that Belshazzar has been on. He has no respect for the God of Israel. See, Daniel says to him, you knew how God treated King Nebuchadnezzar. How Nebuchadnezzar's heart was hard towards God. However, God brought him to a place of honouring him. You knew all this, but you haven't humbled yourself towards God, he tells Belshazzar. In fact, you've set yourself up against God. See, Belshazzar has become hostile to God. He's decided that he was better than God. Perhaps he thought he could live his life with no reference to this God of Israel. Things from the temple? Actually, they mean nothing to me, because the God of Israel means nothing to me. Perhaps he thought. But the problem for Belshazzar is that this isn't some local god, some muteless, uh, mute idol that he was rejecting. This is the god of the universe. The god who gave him his life and being. I think it wasn't in our translation, but in the ESV it says, this is the god who's in his hand holds your very breath. See, his pride is a serious problem. But actually, pride can be a problem for all of us. Pride. See, every time I'm proud, what am I doing? I'm seeking to lift God a little lower and seeking to lift me a little higher. How does pride raise its heart, uh, raise its head in your heart. You know, it's not always a big public thing. For Belshazzar, it certainly was. But actually, it can be in many, many different ways. Do you know, I'm aware of this sometimes when I refuse help from people. Do you know, sometimes I've even turned down prayer when someone's offered And, you know, sometimes that can be for different genuine reasons. But sometimes it's because of my pride. Oh, no, no, you don't need to pray for me. I'll get through. I'll get on my own. I'll be able to do it on my own. I'll be fine. Don't pray for me. Actually, it, it sounds very humble. But actually, it's not. Actually, it's lifting God a little lower in power and authority and us a little higher. It's pride. Maybe life is good, and you think, of course my life is good. God must bless me. I've been very good. I've deserved it. I've worked hard at earning God's favour. What are you doing? Making God a little lower in power and authority, and you a little higher. It's pride. See, we live in grace. We don't deserve God's favour, God's attention, but he gives it to us. He lavishes it on us undeserved favour and love from our Heavenly Father. See, there's no room for pride in that. See, the Bible says all humans in our pride have rejected God in the way Belshazzar has. Every human being, we've exchanged God for lesser things. And that's pretty much what sin is, choosing to worship anything else other than knowing and worshipping God. We've decided to live our lives without reference to God. See, rejecting God is a big deal. 
You might say, well, I haven't, I haven't rejected God. I've just, we've just, we just live separate lives. So I just choose to ignore him, really. I just choose to kind of like one of those friends or one of those people in my family that I don't get on with. I just ignore them, and then everything's fine. And maybe you think, oh, I haven't rejected God. I'm just ignoring him. But actually, the Bible doesn't give us that option with God. So Jesus says, you know, there are... Jesus gives us two options. He says, if you accept me, he says, you're accepting the Father. If you reject me, you're rejecting the Father. So we've got the feast that highlights Belshazzar's sin. Then the writing where we see God's response. So we're told that a hand appears and writes in the plaster on the wall. See, we have a saying, don't we? The writing's on the wall. We use that. Have you heard that saying? Yeah? Have you used that saying? The writing's on the wall. It's, a, it's, a, it's an English saying. And it's used to refer to uh, a situation or to say of a situation that the future is clear and certain things will happen. Or there's, there's danger, imminent danger coming um, or misfortune coming. So, a football team, for instance, and the football manager, they've lost their last ten matches. The crowd want them to leave. And their players are totally not motivated. And you might say, we might use the phrase, mightn't we? The writing is on the wall for that manager. The writing's on the wall. We know where he's going. He's going to be sacked. He's certain to lose his job. Or perhaps a, closing, a clothing shop where actually people have uh, switched styles of clothes. They're not buying clothes from that shop anymore. They're buying sh- clothes from another shop that sells more trendier clothes. And uh, it's losing custom to those other shops. And no one shops in that. You go past that shop and no one's in there anymore. And we say, you know, the writing's on the wall. It's, it's going to get out of business. It's clear. See, the football manager, the clothes shop, they've been judged and their future has already been decided. And that is what's happening to Belshazzar. See, he's been happy with the gods that do not see, that do not hear, that do not understand. He prefers to give his worship to gods who won't judge his actions, who won't say whether he's living rightly or wrongly. In fact, they won't see, hear, or or understand anything. See, we generally, in this country, don't like the idea of judgment. Why should anyone, especially God, tell me whether my thoughts, actions, desires are right and wrong? I decide what's right and wrong. I'm the boss who decides that. Or we'll say things like, well, I don't believe God judges humans. I I believe in a God of love. A God of love who, who, who makes who doesn't make judgments on how I live. See we, see, we see wrongdoing in the world, don't we, or in our society, and we're very quick to say, God would judge that. That's very bad. I would expect God to take a stand against that. But what about the wrongdoing in our lives? Then we're less comfortable, really, aren't we, in expecting God to take a stand on that. <laughs> But actually, what I want to look, as we look at each of the words that are written on the wall, I want us to see that actually judgment is vital 
to understanding who God is and vital to the whole of Christianity. Okay, so let's look at these words that are written on the wall. Mene, God has numbered the days of Belshazzar's kingdom and brought it to an end. Perhaps Belshazzar thought his rule would go on much longer. Do you know, his feasts sound like he wasn't too concerned. He wasn't too bothered. He was having his feasts, he was drinking his wine. He wasn't too concerned. But God knew when it would come to an end. It wasn't up to Belshazzar, it wasn't up to his enemies, it was up to God. See, Psalm 139 reminds us of this. It reminds us that God has numbered our days. This is what it says. All the days ordained for me were written in your book before one of them came to be. See, we won't know when our lives are up. I don't say that to scare you. It's just the truth. And actually, to pretend otherwise is is foolishness. See, in Luke 12, Jesus tells a parable of a man, a rich man, who builds up his wealth. And he thinks, I've got so much wealth, I'll sit back and relax and drink and eat and have a good time. But God says to him in the parable, foolish man, tonight you'll die. You, you know, you stored up treasures up uh, on earth, but you haven't considered the life beyond that. See, we don't know when our day will be. But I want to encourage you, if you haven't made a decision to follow Christ, do it today. See, one day your life will be brought to an end like Belshazzar's. Don't put it off. However, the flip side of knowing our days are numbered is this. Perhaps you're ill. Perhaps you're scared of death. Do you know, your days are numbered by God. He decides how long you'll have on this earth. Do you know, if you're a Christian, that really does bring comfort. The God who knows you, who loves you, who cares for you, is in charge of your life. So, tekel, the second word. Tekel means weighed. Uh, Belshazzar has has been weighed in the balances and found wanting. See, Belshazzar's life, his thoughts, his actions, his desires have been weighed and God has judged them to be unworthy. See, this picture of a set of balancing scales is a helpful one. And the Bible talks about it in other places as well, of, of God weighing our lives. He talks of uh, the, um, uh, the mother of the prophet Samuel, Hannah. She prays this. The Lord is a God who knows, uh, the Lord is a God who knows, and by him deeds are weighed. But you know, most people see it like this, don't they? They see, they see it like this. In life, life is like a set of balancing scales and as long as I do more good things than bad things, as long as my good things outweigh my bad things, I'll be fine, actually. It'll it'll cancel out the bad things and a little bit more and I'll be okay. But if I do more bad things than, than good things, well, then I'll be in trouble. So I'll do more good things to weigh out the bad things. That's how people see it. 
But the Bible paints a very different picture. The Bible said it's not your good actions being weighed against your bad actions, but rather your whole life is weighed against God's perfect standard for life. See, Jesus meets loads of people in the Gospels that think like that, that think they've just got to do enough good things and they'll be okay. And he challenges them to think and to consider that actually, maybe they're more sinful than they think. Maybe there's more of a problem than they've considered. See, even if we weigh ourselves against our own standards, we would find ourselves wanting. Do you ever find that? I can have standards for life, standards for what the proper life should be like. And you know, I find sometimes I don't live up to my standards. We find ourselves wanting. Then passing, uh, which means uh, portions or half of something. So tonight you could have a passing of pizza or passing of chips. You could have half of someone's chips. Um, It means half something or portions. Daniel interprets it using a a similar word, perez, to divide or to share out. Um, Belshazzar's kingdom would be divided up between the Medes and the Persians. He wasn't to escape God's judgment, and there would be consequences for his hostility. And that's what happens. The Babylonian Empire falls to the Medes and to the Persians. See, there's consequences to rejecting God. Hebrews 9.27 says this, Just as a man is destined to die once, and after that, face judgment. See, there will be a day when God will judge every life and decide where they will spend eternity. Will it be with him? Forever with him. Or without him? Where the Bible calls hell. See, and if we don't like talking about judgment, we even less like talking about hell. See, the book of Revelation describes hell as a lake of fire. Have you read that? It says it's like a lake of fire. Do you know, the the American pastor, Tim Keller, says that. He often uh, speaks to people about this, and they say to him, surely you don't believe all that stuff in the Bible that says uh, hell is like a fire, it's like a lake of fire, that that there's kind of flames... uh, all around and pitchforks and all that kind of stuff. Surely you don't believe that's hell. And uh, Tim Keller says to, to the people like that, actually, no, I, I believe actually that, that language is symbolic. And they go, oh, symbolic. Oh, you. Please don't believe that. And he says, no, it's symbolic. The fire's symbolic. The reality is much worse. Listen, just as we can know that one day the injustices and hate in the world as a result of the rejection of God will be punished and put right forever, the Bible is clear that the rejection of God in the hearts of men and women will not be overlooked. So the feast that reminds us of Belshazzar's sin, the writing that speaks of God's judgment, and finally, the command... So Belshazzar clothes Daniel in expensive clothes, a gold chain. He's made the third highest ruler of the kingdom. See, these, these acts of the king are bizarre. He's just found out his days are numbered. His enemies are going to conquer him. 
Perhaps you could even hear the roars of the chariots outside. And he's making Daniel the third ruler of his kingdom. Why? It's not exactly going to last long, is it? Let's be honest. These are the bizarre actions of a man who has no hope. A man who has lost hope. See, in the previous chapters of Daniel, if you've been here, for them, in all that God has been revealing to Nebuchadnezzar, there's always been an opportunity to repent, a call to come back to God, to come to God, for the king to turn to the God of Israel. But with Belshazzar, we read it's very, very different. Actually, he's given no option to turn to God. Daniel doesn't do that. The writing is literally on the wall for Belshazzar. In some ways, you could say that the message of Belshazzar is similar for men and women today. You know, our days are numbered. There'll be an end. Because of our sin and rejection, if we were to weigh our lives, we would not weigh up to his perfect standards. And actually, as kingdoms are divided up, there are consequences to our sin and rejection. But for Belshazzar, there was no hope. But the message of Christ is there is hope. Praise God. God did not leave the human race in helplessness and hopelessness. In Jesus, God entered our lives. He gave his life by being crucified on a cross. And at the cross... There was an exchange going on. Jesus took the punishment that we deserved and our sinful lives were exchanged for his perfect life. So we sang about it, didn't we? Washed by the blood of the lamb. A perfect lamb, Jesus, has been given for our lives. And now if God were to weigh the life of any follower of Jesus, it would be the weight of Jesus' perfect, spotless life. So for anyone who is trusting in Jesus, do you know their eternal consequences of their sin are dealt with at the cross? In exchange, we are given the eternal consequences of Jesus' perfect life. Do you know that? There was an exchange at the cross where the eternal consequences of your sin and wrongdoing and rejection of God were exchanged for the eternal consequences of Jesus' perfect, spotless life. It's not earned, it's not deserved, it's a gift that we accept. This is radical stuff. So the Bible says there's no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. I really felt that coming through in the worship this morning. There's a real sense of, you know, we're loved in all the contributions. We're loved. There's no condemnation. We're his. We belong to him. Now when God the Father looks at you, he sees the righteousness of Jesus. No condemnation. Jesus has paid for your sin against the Father. So you might say, if you've been here for a while, you might say, yes, but doesn't the Bible talk about judgment for Christians? I'm sure it says something about that. 
Well, yeah, but it's a whole different thing now. It's not to do with eternal destiny, but rather it's God's assessment of his grace working in us and how we've led our lives. Now judgment, as a follower of Jesus, becomes something that motivates us to serving him, motivates us to loving him. Because there'll be a day where we hear God say, do you know, well done, my son. Well done, my daughter. Do you know, it pleased me when you stood up for me in that situation. It pleased me when you went out of your way to help that person. Do you know, we don't have a message like Belshazzar of hopelessness, but a message of hope. Church, this is really important because it affects how we do all we do. It affects how we talk to other people. It affects how we share our faith. It's to bring a message of hope, not one of hopelessness. There's a God who loves you and sent his son for you. And he died on a cross so that you could know him. So we have good news, don't we? We have good news. Perhaps you're thinking about, I want to invite someone on Alpha. I, I'm not sure, I, I, I don't know what they'll say. I, I don't know if they'll think it's a rubbish idea, but I want to invite this person. You have good news. They need to hear this message of hope. You know, we're called to display this good news in lots of different ways. Save families for children, as we've heard already. Serving in lots and lots of different ways. Our communities. Actually, that's bringing hope to our communities. That life is, there is hope for life. Listen, there will be a day when God judges every life and decides where they will spend the rest of eternity. But for anyone who's chosen to put their faith in Christ, that judgment will be based on Jesus' perfect life. Praise God. Have you made that decision to follow Jesus? Have you decided to accept his death on a cross thousands of miles away from here, 2,000 years ago, but for your sin and rejection of God? And to take up his offer of life. Do you know you can do that today? You can do that today. As we sing our final song, you can make that decision in your heart to follow him. You can come and talk to us. If you think you're not at that step yet, you can come on Alpha. I want us to pray, and then I want us to finish by worshipping together. And I wonder whether... Could we do um, Jesus, uh, I Stand Redeemed Righteously? Is that okay? Could we do that one? Is that okay? Right. We're going to pray, and then we're going to sing together. Let's come before God. Heavenly Father, we thank you for the hope of the cross. We thank you for the sure and certain hope. We thank you for the truth that at the cross, Jesus, you dealt with our sin, you dealt with our rejection, and you exchanged our sinful, weak lives for your perfect life. Thank you that as we stand now before you, you see Jesus' perfect life adopted into your family is where we are. Thank you. I just want to take a minute to pray. You know, perhaps 
Perhaps sometimes you struggle with that. Has God really dealt with every sin? What about that one? What about that? Just allow the Spirit now to speak to you. Allow him to come and work in you, remind you of the Father's love, remind you that you have been adopted into his family, that every sin was dealt with on Jesus' death on the cross. (laughs) And today, he rules and reigns because he defeated it. To his resurrection, it was once and for all put to death. And God declared him victorious. And he wants you to know that today. He doesn't want you to listen to the lies that say, but God, God treats me in anger. God doesn't really love me. God's just waiting for me to slip up. And then he's really going to give it to me. He's a God of love. And when he looks at you, he sees the perfect, righteous life of Christ. Lord, help us to be men and women who not only just kind of know this in our heads, but have actually encountered this love through Jesus. Help us to be people who genuinely don't live proud lives, but live humble lives where we are raising you high in our lives. Help that to be a light to the world. Help that to um, fuel our, uh, the message we bring to people, the good news that we bring to people. Lord, help us to be people who bring good news, bring words of hope, bring words of um, uh, your um, death and resurrection that bring freedom to people that bring life to people, Lord. Help us to be men and women who, who, through our action, through our words, preach that message, who come and bring hope. Lord, that it's not like Belshazzar where there's no hope. Lord, thank you for all those you put around us. There is hope. Perhaps you're here today and you don't know Jesus. There is hope for you. Jesus reaches out his hand of love to you this morning. And I've said before, why don't you, just as we sing this final song, why don't you make that decision? Say, Jesus, I'm going to choose to follow you in my life. I'm going to choose to accept your death on the cross for me. Let's stand.